Yeah, so we're Encountering Jesus. That's the series that we're in. And the encounter that we're talking about this morning is Zacchaeus. Does anybody here remember Zacchaeus? Anybody here, you raise your hand if you remember Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you probably remember him, maybe, maybe not. Now let me ask you this. What do you remember about Zacchaeus? What's the wee little man? First thing you think of, right? He's a wee little man. Poor Zacchaeus, right? Um, most of what we remember about Zacchaeus, we remember from the song that we learned when we were kids, right? What kind of tree did he climb up into? Who knows? Sycamore tree. You guys all of a sudden are tree experts. I love it. So the thing is this. We remember some details about this. I, when I think of Zacchaeus, I immediately think he's a little guy. He likes to climb trees and he doesn't talk much. But there's a lot more, hopefully, that we're going to see about Zacchaeus today than just that he's a little guy, likes to climb trees, and doesn't talk much. Um, the story of Zacchaeus is really not so much a story about his height. It's a story about a man who had abandoned the faith of his family, had become a turncoat to his whole culture, and he climbs up into a tree to see this famous teacher, and at least part of the reason he's up in this tree is because he's small, and, and I, I'm going to present that I think part of the reason he climbs up into the tree is because he wants to see Jesus, but not be seen by Jesus. So this is really, in some ways, it's a story about hiding. Now, a lot of us are hiding in plain sight. We all hide in different ways. Uh, you might hide by ignoring the guilt that you feel for your sin. You just ignore it. You tell yourself it's not a big deal. And you're really, you're hiding the guilt because you don't know what to do with it. We experience guilt when we sin. We're hardwired to know that there are consequences to our sins. We see the wrong in the universe. The, the second song that we sang, do you feel the world is broken? We answer, we do. We see that in some ways, though, our sin contributes to that brokenness. And we're hardwired to know that somewhere in us that we are accountable to our creator for our sin. And so some of us just stuff that down. Or we maybe compartmentalize it, which is kind of a fancy way of saying trying to ignore your sin. Or some of us don't hide by hiding our guilt. Some of us just won't let anyone close enough to us to see us for who we really are because we fear rejection. We might project confidence. We might project a good life. But we're dying inside. And we can't stand the thought of anyone knowing that. In churches all over, every week people pick up their masks on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights because we're afraid to let anyone know who we really are. And if you want to see Jesus for who he really is, you have to allow yourself to be seen by Jesus for who you really are. There's no hiding from the one who knows everything, but the, the truth is we like to feel some sort of control, and so we'll try to hide it ourselves, even though we know he can see us. And there's a word for that intense desire for us to hide. Shame. 
It's shame. Shame is a powerful drug, and it leads us to believe all kinds of wrong things, to do all kinds of faithless things, and keeps us from the grace and mercy that Jesus offers us. Now, there's a difference between shame and guilt. Recognizing our guilt can lead us to confession, to coming clean with who we are. Shame does the opposite with guilt. Shame sees the guilt there, and instead of coming clean with it, it says, yeah, I better hide this. Nobody's going to accept me. But here's the good news. Jesus calls us out of our shame. He calls us out of our hiding and invites us to life as it was intended. Life enjoying his presence. And it all begins when Jesus calls your name. We're going to read our passage this morning in Luke 19. I've got it up on the screen in ESV, or if you want to follow along in your own Bible, that's cool too. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And he, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Zacchaeus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, I'm sorry, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, that's probably the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That's four times. And Jesus said to him, as Ken read this morning, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So who is Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And tax collectors were despised by the Jewish community. As Dick described it actually last week, Dick did actually uh, uh, talked about the parable that Jesus told about the, the rich man or the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? And uh, Dick did a good job of describing them, so I don't want to add too much to that except to say that, that uh, reinforce that tax collectors were traitors to their community. Um, but they did it in a in a way that gave them some power. So the way that I think of it, and I don't know if this is helpful for you or not, but the way I think of it is as a mobster. Think of it like a mobster. Somebody who's turned their back on the people around them, the culture. But instead of thinking like mobsters get some kind of respect, think of a mobster but a total cultural reject. So nobody loves this guy, right? There's nobody who respects him, nobody who really cares about him. Now, the the tax system made Zacchaeus get rich off of the backs of his family, basically, his own people. He had cheated his own Jewish brothers and sisters on behalf of the hated Romans and for his own profit. But Zacchaeus here is a chief tax collector, And so we don't, this is the only time this is used in the New Testament, so we don't know a whole lot about it, except to say that it probably means that he wasn't the guy who is sitting in the tax booth that people would come up to and pay the taxes to. He was like higher up. So he was the guy that all the tax collector guys would go up and and give to. So I think of him kind of as a mob boss. 
um, to keep with the mob thing. So what did Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus runs ahead toward the edge of town to get a view of Jesus. He climbs up in a tree, the text tells us, because he's short. So this includes two things that Middle Eastern men don't do. Number one is Zacchaeus runs ahead. And I know it seems a little bit weird to us that like in this, in the, in that culture, men didn't run, but men didn't run. That was kind of an embarrassing thing, like kind of an undignified type of thing. So Zacchaeus runs ahead and he's, he's kind of undignified and it's kind of humiliating for him, but he wasn't satisfied to just see Jesus passing by. So he probably saw him walking through town and runs on ahead. The second thing that Zacchaeus does that Middle Eastern men do not do, or at least didn't do, was to climb a tree. Um, tree climbing in that culture was for kids alone. So uh, it's, it's just something that adults don't do. And again, it was humiliating. And we get the sense from these actions that Zacchaeus is doing that he really wants to see Jesus. It's like he knows that this pursuit, though it is costly to him to both run ahead and to climb up into a tree, it is humiliating, but it's like he knows it's worth it. He's probably heard that this Jesus could be the Messiah. He's heard about the miracles that he does, how he's healed the blind, he's healed the lame, he's healed the paralyzed. He's done all these amazing things, and he, he just wants to get a glimpse. He wants to see more and know more about Jesus. So I I guess the question that I had coming to this text over and over again for the last four weeks or whatever is this. Why didn't Zacchaeus just run up to Jesus and talk to him? If he really wanted to see Jesus, why not just walk up to him like seemingly everybody else did? There's a crowd around Jesus because that's what people do around Jesus. They get close. They want to get close. I think that part of the reason that Zacchaeus is up in the tree instead of down in the crowd is because he wants to see Jesus, but not be seen by Jesus. He wants to gather information about Jesus without exposing himself to Jesus. And if we're honest, a lot of us are a lot like Zacchaeus. We want to gather intel about Jesus. We Maybe we watched a documentary about him or, or you know, the, all the articles that come out around the time of Easter, who was the real Jesus. You know, maybe we've read some of those articles, but we want to do it at arm's length. So that like, like we want to get some stuff about him, but not like get sucked into the whole religious Christian thing. And if that's you today, I want to say that we're glad that you're here. This is for you. Um, But I I also just want to say this. What we see over and over again in the scriptures seems to be that curiosity alone will not reveal who Jesus is to you. If you seek Jesus with your whole heart, I guarantee you'll find him. But seeking him at arm's length isn't going to do the trick. So, uh, Jesus calls out Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus didn't make any stops through Jericho, the town he was going through. It was probably expected that he would stay at some really nice house of some really nice guy. But he says no to the, suppose, you know, you just imagine all these invitations along the way. And he says no to all those so that he can say yes to this little turncoat mobster guy, Zacchaeus. 
And it's possible that some in the crowd recognized Zacchaeus on the side of the road, on in the tree, and maybe they were making fun of him, and that's how Jesus knew his name. But I kind of think that it's hard to imagine with all the hubbub that was going around Jesus that people were paying too much attention to the trees on the side of the road. I think Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. And I think as he's walking along the way, he recognizes, this is my appointment here in Jericho. Have you ever had a total stranger call your name? Somebody that you don't know just calls your name? I mean, obviously we do if we work at a place where we've got a, our name tag on and somebody says, why, hello, John. You know, uh, that, but like outside of that context, somebody who, who you don't know calling your name, your name is given to you at birth by your parents to distinguish you from everybody else. It's the name that they call you when you're a little baby and you're making your first cooing sounds. They say your name over and over again. At least that's what we did with our four kids. It's the name that they call to you to encourage you as you take your first steps. Come on, come on. You're almost there. You're doing it. It's the name that they call you when as you're growing into a young adult, they tell you how proud of the person that you're becoming. And it's probably also the name that Zacchaeus' parents called him when they told him they had to disown him for being a tax collector because now he's a traitor. Now he is the enemy of their culture, of their family, of their people. And so from that moment on, Zacchaeus probably wasn't called by his real name a whole lot. He was probably called by names like Snake or Traitor. But Jesus looks up into the tree and, and calls Zacchaeus by name. And this, and when he does this, he also invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And this boldness breaks through all the hiding and the protection that Zacchaeus has offered, uh, that he's put up. Jesus isn't content to stay on the outside at arm's length. He gets up close and personal with the person who wanted distance and anonymity. Because hear this, Jesus isn't a subject to be studied. He's a person to be known. So Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus had a very real option to just stay in the tree and say, Oh, no thanks, my house isn't ready. Uh, no thanks, you know, uh, you know I, I, don't, I don't have stuff. He's got this very real option. What he could have done is he could have just stayed in the tree and waited till Jesus was like, all right, see you later. And then the crowd thins out and then Jesus or Zacchaeus could just go back to his normal life and everything would just go back to what it was before. Or he could come down from the tree in front of God and everybody and he could experience life as it was meant to be for the first time, enjoying a meal with God himself. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe you're still up in your tree. Just trying to see Jesus without him seeing you. And again, we're glad you're here. I hope that you, that like what Larry shared this morning and the songs that we've sung this morning, I hope that these connect with you and help you understand who Jesus is. Many of us here are believers in Jesus. But we sadly spend most of our time in a tree hiding from him. 
We believe the gospel for our eternal salvation, like what's going to happen way down the road, but we don't necessarily believe the gospel for our daily struggles. We come here on a Sunday morning and we act the part of a good Christian, but deep inside we know I'm struggling. Saying, I'm fine, is kind of a mutually understood code for telling other people, uh, no thanks, no thanks, uh, can we just keep this at a surface level? I'm really here more to see stuff about Jesus than to really be seen. And it's understandable we do that on Sunday mornings. Kind of understandable that we do that on Wednesday nights. It makes sense. We all hide. We ask each other, how can we pray for you? What's going on in your life? And we give the, um, maybe you could pray for my uncle. Uh, maybe you could pray for my kids. Maybe you could pray for my job situation. But we don't let one another in to our lives. And, you know, Amy and I were talking about it just this morning. Maybe your life group is too big and you feel a little uncomfortable with that. Okay, find somebody who you can share with those. Find somebody that you can share with. I want us to, uh, to check out this quote from Dane Ortland in his fantastic book, Deeper. Check this out. He says this, We consign ourselves to plateaued growth in Christ if we yield to pride and fear and hide our sins. We grow as we own up to being real sinners, not theoretical sinners. All of us as Christians acknowledge generally that we're sinners, yeah. But rarer is the Christian who opens up to another about exactly how he or she is a sinner. But in this honesty, life blossoms. Walking in the light is killing the preening and parading, the mask wearing, the veneer, the keeping up of appearances. It's collapsing into transparency. Now, it's, it's not our job or anyone else's job to force you out of your tree. I've done that before, and I've hurt people who weren't ready to come down. Not literally, I just want to clarify. I uh, didn't literally... I guess I did one time with my sister. I, but um, people have been hiding their sin ever since sin entered the world. Before sin came in, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed of it. Check out what it says in Genesis 3 here. This is right after they sin, right after they eat of the fruit, right? And we're, most of us are probably familiar with that story. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What do they start to do? Covering up. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Where? Where? Among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Do you see the effect of sin? They didn't, Adam and Eve didn't sin and then notice that the other one was naked. They sinned and their first look was at themselves. They'd always been so looking to God and looking at one another that they never even realized that they were naked. But the moment that sin entered, their very first look 
was at themselves. And their first reaction to that was to hide. Maybe today you hear Jesus calling your name to come down from your tree, to stop hiding, to put down your mask, and show Jesus who you really are. I've shared things in my small group, in my in our life group, that I'm not going to share here from the platform. That's not for everybody to hear. But I've struggled with things that I've confessed to my small group, and I've got some relationships with some of the men here that I that we just we go for it. We don't hide anything. We don't hold anything back. And those men, I trust them to point me to Jesus. I've shared ugly things that I'm ashamed of, truthfully. And you know what I was met with? Grace. I was met with grace. The enemy uses fear to keep you in your tree. If people really knew, if people could really see you for who you really are, they would reject you. So you stay in your tree. But West Side, it's time for us to come out of our trees and meet the kindness and grace and forgiveness that only comes when we confess our sins to one another. The truth is, we're all messed up. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We all carry baggage with us. And the truth is that God doesn't just use beautiful things. Part of the glory of God is that he uses broken things to make beautiful things. So we don't fix each other. The Holy Spirit does that. But God calls us to confess our sins to one another in appropriate circles. And when we do, that's when he gets to work in us. And until we're willing to put down our masks, we'll just stay up in our little tree alone and all in fear. But Zacchaeus gets out of his tree and sits down at a table with Jesus. And as he does so, he is moving from life as it is to life as it was meant to be. So, of course, because this happens out in the public eye, the crowd has to react. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Now, the crowd probably expected Jesus to stay at the home of the most righteous person in town. That's kind of how you would think, like, famous teacher is going to stay at a really nice guy's house. Interestingly, Jesus had earned the title friend of tax collectors and sinners. You read that back a few chapters back in Luke 7. And I'm sure that his reputation had preceded him. But when he comes to Jericho and the crowd sees that he is a friend to this tax collector and sinner, they just can't stand it. It's assumed that the next little bit that happens here in these verses happens at the house of Zacchaeus, likely at the table with Jesus, surrounded by others seemingly unfit for the righteousness. Most likely there wouldn't be any Pharisees there or any Jews in good standing because the house of a tax collector was considered unclean. Zacchaeus stands up and he makes a shocking statement. He declares that half of his goods he will give to the poor. So we know from previous verses that Zacchaeus was a rich man. And so all of a sudden, you've got this guy who's declaring, I'm going to give away a lot of money. And for a guy who sold his soul to make money, this is a radical change. But he goes on. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What? Do you remember what Dick said about how tax collectors got their money? They got it by defrauding people. That's how they got paid. And so he's basically saying that 
all, you know, half of my money I'm going to give away. And then I'm going to give away four times of all this, like the dishonest commission or the protection money type thing uh, that, that I've been taking from these other people. Imagine a mobster standing up at his party and saying he's going to give away half of his empire. And then any of the protection money that he's been taking from the local businesses that he's been kind of skimming off the top, he says, I'm going to restore that fourfold. What in the world? What? That's a crazy amount of change. That's a lot. It's worth noting that this is probably hyperbole, but it, it's at least a genuine intent to make restitution. But what could possibly elicit such a magnificent response from such a terrible person? Jesus. The difference is Jesus. When Jesus looked up into that tree and called Zacchaeus by name, he saw Zacchaeus for who he really is. And Zacchaeus knew it. He was a miserable little man in super expensive clothing, trying to see the friend of sinners without being seen. And rather than just walking by and looking at Zacchaeus and being like, hmm, and carrying on his way, he looks into the tree, he calls Zacchaeus by name, knowing that this is that this one who called him out changed everything for Zacchaeus. This is life as it was intended to be. At the table with Jesus, spending time with the one who made him to be with him, side by side with the Creator. And we can marvel at God's power, and, and like we just sang, we can stand in awe of his glory. His holiness just, it, it just elicits a bowing down low response. But his love changes us. At least it should. It changed Zacchaeus. His love is changing me. Is his love changing you? Confession and repentance are the first real steps toward following Jesus. But it's also how we continue to grow in our life with Christ. We know what confession is. It's coming clean. The word means to agree with God about your sin, literally to say the same thing. But what is repentance? Repentance is a turning around. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's a decision. It's deciding that you've been wrong and supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It's deciding that you were wrong and thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. It's deciding that you've been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and the world. And it's deciding that God and Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Zacchaeus repented. And it was evident in the way he responded to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Jesus affirms Zacchaeus' faith. And that faith made all the difference. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And the potential buyer sees the treasure, he covers it back up, goes away, he sells everything else that he's got so that he can go and buy that field because the treasure's in it. And he does it with total joy. Zacchaeus found that treasure in Jesus when he believed. 
But the question I have, you know, after this is, what about all the sin? Like, okay, so Zacchaeus said he's going to make restitution, right? He's going to pay all this money back. And so, like, the, the human part of it is, is dealt with. But what about all the sin? Like, that's, a, that's sinful to God. And Jesus just so cavalierly says, ah, salvation's come to this house today. How can Jesus say something like that? Well, remember where Jesus was going. He was going through Jer- Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to go to the cross where he would be crucified, not for sins that he did, but for the sins of Zacchaeus. Jesus could forgive sin because he was going to pay for it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The earnings of your sin and my sin, it's death. And we've all seen that in life, how sin leads to destruction and it leads to death. Um, you see it when one group seeks power over another. You see how that has consequences for other people. It leads to death. We, we've seen it just here recently with yet another shooting. Sin leads to death. But what we don't like admitting is that that same sin that drives all kinds of death around in the world, that that same sin is present in our hearts and that we contribute to that same thing. We don't like to admit that our sin brings death too. Sin is living independently of God's rule. It's going our own way, not his. We come into the world thinking that we're independent from God, that we don't need to submit to anyone. Can I get an amen from parents? Uh, our kids don't need to be taught how to sin, right? I mean, maybe they learn specific ways of sinning later on, but the idea of independence, of autonomy, not submitting to authority, that's natural to us. We've fallen from our original design of dependence on God, of perfect fellowship of love. We're lost. But Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came for you. He came for you, whether you've never believed in him before, or maybe you are a believer. It's good to remember Jesus came for you. He gave his perfect life to buy you back from enslavement to your sin. Are you lost? Have you seen the brokenness in the world and wondered why? Why does so much evil exist in the world? The Bible says that the world has been cast into chaos because of sin. And you know what came through sin? Death. And the bad news is that sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. It separates you from God. But you can be joined to Jesus by faith. He sees you and everything in your heart. And all you do is you accept being found by him. He sees you and the ways you've sinned and dishonored him. The sin brings shame and he sees you in your tree. And he's calling your name. You can get out of your tree, stop hiding, by calling on the name of Jesus to save you from your sins and begin a new life in him today. But sadly, not everyone will get out of their tree. Last week, Dick talked about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and their different prayers. You remember that? The Pharisee basically in his prayer, if you can call it that, bragged about his own righteousness to God. The tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and begged God for mercy. 
shortly after that parable, that story actually played out. The story of Zacchaeus is the second half of that. Because back just a few paragraphs from our text in Luke 19, a rich young lawkeeper approached Jesus in a very different way, and it stands in stark contrast to, to Zacchaeus. This rich, we call him the rich young ruler, he didn't resort to hiding in a tree. He just walked right up to Jesus and asked him what he had to do to be right with God. Jesus asked him about keeping the commandments. And this guy who must have missed Jesus' earlier sermon on the mount, uh, he says, yeah, I, I did that. I've, I've fulfilled this my whole life. And Jesus goes, oh, great. So you love the Lord. You love the law. Then this should be easy. This next step, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. Do you remember how the guy responded? I guess it's up there, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, but he walked away from Jesus sad. Why? Because he couldn't let go of his money. And the disciples marveled at how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When you have everything, what else do you need? But we look at Zacchaeus, just a couple paragraphs later, who was rich, just like this guy. And we see someone who realized that though he thought he had everything, everything changed when Jesus called his name. And that everything in the world doesn't satisfy. This week I want, us, uh, I want to encourage us. Do we believe the gospel enough to come out of our trees and be seen by God and those around us for who we really are? One of our core values at Westside is that we are relationally growing. This is how God grows us, through growing together. Um, but we don't grow together really well when we're still staying up in our trees, do we? This week, I want, us to, I want to encourage us to re-engage in our life groups. Or if, if that's too much, find one person that you can engage with and share who you really are with. Engage with people. God's put them here to help you grow. God's building a community and us at Westside. People who believe the gospel enough to be real with each other. There's no sin that is so great that it will keep God from changing you from the inside out. I also want to encourage us to celebrate. Uh, we're going to have the band come up and we're going to sing another song in a, in a moment. Can you imagine Zacchaeus uh, sitting at the table with Jesus and declaring that he's going to give all his money away with this dour, sour, half angry look on his face. Can you imagine that? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. But it, like, I can't imagine that. It's, it seems like Zacchaeus was probably just a little more than somewhat demonstrative. May we never lose the wonder of God's mercy for us. And may it sometimes inform our face. Because sometimes when we celebrate the truth of what God has done for us, we look more like the sad Pharisee. And maybe we've lost the wonder of what God has done for us. Um, maybe let's be willing to look a little more like Zacchaeus as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And I'll, and I'll close with this. Uh, Ollie Ollie Oxen Free is a thing that uh, a bunch of us yelled when we were kids. I don't know, is that is this a familiar phrase to you? It was a familiar phrase to me, and when I heard this story, I was like, oh my gosh, that's pretty awesome. 
Ollie Ollie Oxen Free is what you yell when you've been playing hide and go seek or something like that and everybody can just kind of run out. But I don't know what, I didn't understand. Is this like somebody named Oliver is missing his cattle? I didn't get it. But the thing is, what, it's, it's a kind of a weird, uh, version of this old saying, all ye, all ye, outs in free. And the idea is this, if you're playing this game, when, and somebody yells, all ye, all ye, outs and free, you can come out from your hiding. You can come out and you can just come to the center and you know what? You're not going to lose the game. It also means that if you've been out of the game, that now you're back in and you're invited to, to run into the center. And, and when this happens, you don't just kind of like go, oh, okay. No, you run back in, you run because all of a sudden you're back in and now something counts again. This is the call of Jesus today to us. All ye, all ye, outs in free. How can he declare your debts canceled? Because he paid for them on the cross. How can you walk in freedom from hiding, freedom from shame? Because Jesus paid for your sin completely. He has removed your guilt. As far as the east is from the west, so has he saved us. All ye, all ye, outs in free. We can be, we can make a run to the center. We can make a run to the Father. Because God has taken care of our sins. He's paid for us in full. So let's celebrate that together. I'm going to close in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for the truth that we can celebrate freedom. That we don't have to hide. And we can be, uh, we can be right with you because of what you've done for us. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would call us out of hiding into your glorious light. Amen.